Well, on this week's episode of Entrepreneurial Impact, Dave and I have had the pleasure to dive into seven key areas for leaders. So thank you uh, for tuning in this week. This is going to be a great one. Uh, and let's figure this one out, Dave. So let's dive right in. What do you, what's the first one here we got on our list to cover? Vision and strategy. You know, I really love this list and, and I love how we kind of keep coming back and looking at different dynamics of what makes a leader, right? And the different components of how you become one, right? So in order to be one, you know, how, how do you visualize what that actually means to you? So can we pause there? What's your definition? What's the difference between a leader and a manager? Do what I say versus look at how I do it and follow. Tell me more. So I think a manager, I think when I think of a manager, I think of, I, I think of seventies and eighties types of style. Like if you ever asked me, I was like, I'm going to be a manager. And I said, what does that mean? That means I'm going to be in a position where I can tell people what to do. Okay. Right. When I think of a leader, I reflect back to sports. Mm -hmm. I think of coaches, right? They would get in the trenches where they would show you how to do things. They would beat with you, beat on with you. And you would follow them or even, you know, I would take the people like drill sergeants, people that I was in the service with, right? People you would follow because you trusted them, you believed in them, you felt that they looked out for you. Yeah, I think like everybody has their own uh, interpretation of them. I always go back to this. And I love your your stuff because I think the more people that like listen to, are you a leader, are you a manager, are you a boss, are you a supervisor? Like there's all these kind of, kind of words that can become interchanged. Yep. And I think what's what always sticks with me is um, managers – you manage tasks, but you lead people. Has always been like my one that I still haven't heard any terms of leadership and manager that has like trumped that description for me at least. Not you know, it's no. I I think if you actually look at it though, I think there's been a transition of what we expect mm -hmm. out of people that we work with or report to or however you want to put that term. Like I I think that that manager is almost become a negative content to who a person could be that's running an organization, a business unit, or whatever. Yeah. And I think you have to have a blend of both. So like when I hear these things that say you have to be a leader and you, you don't want to be a manager, well, I'm like, you have to have both. Like you have to be able to manage key outcomes and tasks and stuff like that and manage the task. So you want to be hard on the task or the goal and then lead the people towards it, right? So there's there's a blend in my world that has both because if you have all leading people, yet there's no insightful looking at numbers and key metrics and stuff like that, the business actually isn't growing or you're not minding that that side of it. Would you say that kind of comes down to communication and relationship? Could. Um, I think it's all different based on the leadership style because there's not like you look around any of the Fortune 500 companies, every one of those CEOs. Now, I can't really speak to whether or not they're a leader or manager, <laughs> but um, each one of them is going to have a different style. And I think there's actually beauty in people having different report to for leadership just because you get a different style from every person because you don't really care how, right? It's about the outcome of did you hit your goals as a business, but also did you develop people? And I think the ultimate sign of leadership is <clears throat> like in my interviews, I've got some key questions. One of them to define leadership is how many people have you grown, right? How many people have transcended outside of your organization to become better versions of themselves because they spent time with you. And I think that's really the old, in my world, or at least how I see it, is I would ask that question and that simple question will define in that 30 second response, whether or not that person is a leader or they're not, or they're on the journey towards. No, I'll be real. When I first got into what I would call management, right, coming up out of college and, and having a position and overseeing people, I'm like, I had the mindset of, 
I didn't have to explain myself sometimes. Do as I say, right? That's been a journey and a change for me to lead versus manage. And so that's why when you ask me that definition, I think it does have to do with where you've come from, right? And how you've developed. And I think more and more people that I'm around now don't necessarily have that management, right? Generationally, there's a change there. I believe it to be true. So let's let's go down this one. So our first one for, once again, uh, we're going to cover the seven key areas for leaders to be successful in their businesses. And the f- number one here is vision and strategy. So Dave, you see vision and strategy. Like what, what, what do you see that as? What are the, what are the deliverables in that? As I said, can I, do I have a vision that I can point to or share with the people in my company that one, that they understand it, right? It's, it's above and beyond just profit goals, right? That, that's the structure of it. Two, do they have any say in it, right? Do, can they take ownership in it? Do they believe in it? Because if it's my goals or my vision, which it sounds funny because if you start an organization, it's going to be yours, but you have to surround yourself with people that believe in what your goals are too. When I think about vision, people want to understand that there's a better future, that they want to have some type of purpose to your organization, right? So people inherently are going to want to know that that their work is more than just like a paycheck. And when you talk about vision, first off, do you understand it? So as a leader, do you understand the vision of the organization? Can you articulate it? And can you align people towards it? And I think there's a there's a huge skill in that because I could say, hey, we're going to – the vision is to transform this many widgets or this many consumers uh, so they have a better way of life and they can spend more time with their, their families or something like that. That's a terrible vision statement, but I'm, I'm, I'm winging that one, right? Um, and the, the key here is that you've got such diverse backgrounds inside of your organization that that vision, everybody might be able to align to, but in their particular individual lanes, how do you as the leader articulate that this vision has impact to you as a, a team member? Because if you don't get the buy-in on how this helps them or how they are a part of it, they're never going to feel tied to the vision because they don't personally have any like blood, sweat, and tears in it, if that makes sense. And the second part is it's great to have a vision, but then you also need to have a strategy behind it that fulfills that vision. Because if I just go around saying that we're going to, our vision is to, I don't know, impact 50% of homeowners in their efficiencies of their house maintenance or something like that. It's a great vision because it's a big, hairy, audacious goal and it gets people fired up. But your people on the ground need to know how that impacts them, but then how are they going to execute it, right? Right. Well, it has to be measurable, right? You can have you can paint a great picture, mm-hmm. right? That looks great, but the execution, right? How are we going to get there? What's that? You, all, all your favorite platitudes. Uh, what's the roadmap, <laughs> and how are we going to get there? But that has to be documented and broken down so people can say, "I own that component, right? Mm-hmm. That part of the strategy, I did that." So the takeaway on vision and strategy is as the leader, the vision, like you hear a lot of this from CEOs that they're like, I'm the visionary. And then great, you can be a visionary, but if no one's doing any of the day-to-day or the week-to-week or month-to-month work, then nothing ever comes to it. So the, the, the leader has to take full accountability that not only am I the visionary to inspire people to a better future, I also need to align them in the actions that are going to get the vision to come to fruition. 
right? So you can't just be one or the other. You got to do both to be an effective leader. So it leads into the next number two here is key area for a leader is financial statements. How many leaders do you know love financial statements? <laughs> not not enough, actually. I, and I think that there's a challenge to it. Like, I think there's two levels of that. I think people that can get lost in it, mm-hmm. right? Then there's people that just don't know how to read it and understand what it's saying on the high enough level, right? But you need to know what your KPIs or what your drivers are that are moving the needle, right? And when you go back to the you know the vision and strategy or who's accountable, how are they moving that needle, right? How is each department or each individual person on your team, your organization, affecting mm-hmm. that financial? And yeah, I think the when I think about financial statements, there's first off is like numbers are just numbers if you don't know how to interpret them and be able to understand how you got there or what story you can tell, right? So for the key for like a high level leader is that you need to know the financial statements at a base level just so that you know that you're not that you're being a steward of the numbers and the money of the organization. The last thing you ever want to do because I've seen this in my consulting with entrepreneurs and small business owners is that they don't understand financial statements and they don't realize that just because they got cash in the bank doesn't mean they're profitable. And number 2 is I've seen a ton of embezzlement from low like entry level staff members because the the leader couldn't read a financial statement or wasn't looking at the cash balances or things like that. So like there's a on the ground need for it. And then number two is, are you able to read the financials to see what the, the the past or the history has been of the organization? What story and narrative can you talk into the future? And then what are those key numbers telling you so that you can make on the fly decisions that actually impact the business? Because you cannot have a mission without profitable margin. I, w- I was really fortunate early on in my professional career that I, I had a financial guru. Like he taught me Excel spreadsheets and he taught me numbers and he showed me how things move and literally how a little bit of pressure here or there can change your outcomes. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the movement in the numbers themselves, whether unintentional or how they were moving, were affecting numbers upwards and down, right? So there's a micro level component to that that I think if you truly understand all of that, helps you understand what you're talking about because you can have fun with numbers and not if you're not paying attention and get lost in it but really embracing yourself with the numbers and understanding it to to that micro level not accounting stuff right Uh, so takeaway on financial statement do not be don't be sticking your head in the sand say I don't want to know it like as a great leader you're going to need to know financial statements Uh, number three here for great leadership is just business building What's business building? It's vague. I know. That's why I'm saying. <laughs> business building has so many different interpretations. So are you, you – all right. You could be talking about it from building it through through numbers, right? Sure. Am I increasing sales? Am I building the foundation of my organization for long-term growth? You know, I think business building – this, this goes back to like why there's so many different skill sets and personalities of CEOs is that you can get to success in a number of different ways. And when I look at business building, I think to myself like what are – who are the key people in my, my ecosystem? Now, I'm not talking just like the people that I'm in charge of, but everybody that could be a competent rival, 
right? Okay. And like, what is the the market sense of my industry? And do I have key relationships inside my industry and maybe even biz, like businesses that are ancillary to my core business? So when I look at business building is like, great, you might be known inside your company, but are you known in the market? Are you known in like the collective, like who's who of your industry at large, not just your local area? Because when you look at business building, it's all about the people, right? Yeah. And when I look at business building, I think, who are the key relationships? What am I known for? And how do I bring value to a key competitor or rival? Because at some point, I'm probably going to have to be in business with them or it would be behoove me to be able to do a merger and acquisition. Or I might be able, you know, who knows? I know I'm not going to lose, right? Like that just not as a leader, I'm not going to lose as a mindset, which tells me that at some point, if I know what that that drive is for me, there might be an opportunity that they say, hey, I'm not cool at my current like employer. I want to try out something different. So when I look at business building, the first thing that comes to me is what does your people relationship look like? And what is your, you know, your your database like and are you known yeah, i mean so that's a fair point if you look at relationship building it's internal and external yeah. right I, I i would agree with that or do you have the people around you internally that can allow you to grow do you have the people around you that you know you're going to need in the future or you can partner with in the future and you, you brought up a good point you said like outside the organization and then inside i think there's also business building that can be done inside the organization just by grooming and helping your current people. Like this is where I believe that leaders need to get out of the white ivory tower and in the ground and in the field. Because if you sit down with some of your key people that are in the field, you're going to find, if you ask great questions, you're going to find out where some efficiencies are. And you're like, wow, I didn't realize we had that efficiency. Let's pour gas on that thing. Right? I, I think back, um, there's a George Washington, I don't know the exact quote is, but, but they, they just say, hey, George Washington, you're a great general. You know, how'd you been? And he's like, well, I don't know about that but I surround myself with those that are, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of what we're getting to right here. Surround yourself with those, right? That are where you aspire to be and channel them, right? That's the talent of leadership of helping them grow and you can grow along with them, right? People get hyper-focused hyper on building the best widget in the world and how to create a widget, but not understand business, but you need that person in your world. And I think the cool part about one other thing you could think about, and there's a million ways to grow a business. That's why, like, we could spend probably several days covering that. The piece. Podcast in the future. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> and I think the other thing to kind of, like, look at inside a business building is, like, what are the low-hanging fruits that, um, that might be businesses that align uh, parallel to yours that you could actually vertically integrate into your business? Right, because if there's there's this whole idea of vertical integration that you can capture all kinds of business because you've got the central funnel, and I think the big part is to say what's my central funnel, what's my core business, and if I dominate the core business, what are the other opportunities that open up because I control that core business? Well, this another analogy for this or story you could think about is that like this gets brought up a lot in my meetings is like LeBron James might get paid. 40 million a year from the Lakers because he's a good basketball player. He gets paid like a quarter mil a year from Nike for advertising, right? So his core business is basketball. His ancillary service that he was actually to vertical integrate was advertising based on his name. He was able to make 250 million. Now, right. I, forgive the numbers, but yes. throwing it out there. What he, but he doesn't make the 250 from Nike unless he's a good basketball player. So the whole idea beyond business building is what are the opportunities that are there inside of your world that if you pull this lever or push that lever, 
or pour some more gas on it and figure out like what how do we maximize our revenue with our current people based on what we're known for and what we're efficient and great at doing. But that story was told very, very well in that movie Air, right? Because that's that came from Jordan. Oh, really? Oh, if you look at, you know, he was the first one to kind of have a personally named branded sneaker, right? The Air Jordan, yeah. right? And he built that Nike brand. Nike brand was struggling at that time. And they partnered with him because they saw him, the basketball player, to sell the shoes and the merchandising, the brand. And he, in conjunction with them, grew that org- that company, right? That's where he got his wealth is more from that outside of basketball than inside of basketball. And that just goes back to just business building. Where's the opportunity based on the current market share that you currently have, right? All right, number four. This one's a big one for me. Big, like fire and drive. Number four on the list that we're covering today. But I just want to bring up, this is probably, no, not probably, I'm gonna take that language out of it. This is, the in my world, the okay. most important for a leader to have. Fire and drive. Why is that important? Um, so my mom always brought up like, I'll know what your values are based on what you do when no one's watching. So like you could say this is your value, but if no one's watching and inspecting, then how do you show up, right? In an organization, when you earn the right or earn the opportunity, let's say, to lead people, um, you have an obligation to be the fire and drive. Here's why. If you have an opportunity to grow a business, it's bigger than just hitting a sales number. It, it actually ties into people's livelihood. So I, I per, my personal story on this one is uh, when, I, when I was um, leading our organization at the, like, as a um, broker manager, I took it upon myself that I had like 15 people that you know, I was responsible for in regards to their growth, their success in the role, their financials, all kinds of things. I personally knew that if I didn't grow our business, I was shortchanging my operations manager. I was shortchanging my agent service coordinator. I was shortchanging um, our front desk. Because if I didn't grow, there would be no more opportunities. There would be no bonus. There would be no ability to step up and get promoted because we didn't grow. But the fire and drive comes from the fact that I, it was bigger. The cause and purpose was not just to, to grow for growing sake. The growing was to be able to give opportunities to great people, to make sure they're gainfully employed, to make sure they're making money so that they can have great lives outside of the office, right? So the cause around fire and drive for any key organization is it's not about you know driving forward and blazing a path to say you did it. It's that that has serious impact in the people that you're responsible for. And who else is going to do that? I, I love that the emotion that that brings that's different than that's so different than lead by example. Yeah, I mean, right? Like if you if you said somebody, hey, lead by example. There's a passion to it. Do what I say. But you're talking fire and drive. Like that's a completely different personalized vision for yeah. yourself. Yeah. Right. Not just for the organization, but for you personally, to build the organization. It also comes back to remember this, like humans inherently default to the path of least resistance. That's what happens. So you could also tie this into like humans don't like change. So someone has to cause constructive conflict. So when I look at fire and drive, I think it's my responsibility to cause constructive conflict because I know that person is capable of more. 
left to our own devices, this is why coaching is so important, all that kind of stuff for accountability purposes and that is that left to our own devices, we're going to like go down the, least, the path of least resistance. So the fire and drive at the organization level is you set the pace, right? And if you can set a fast pace, you're going to outperform the normal like average Joe, for lack of a better term. Um, and I think that's just important because your your colleagues, your coworkers, your teammates, they're going to look to see like who's got the drive, who's got the motor. Hey, when I'm tired and exhausted, who's going to kick him in the backside and say, you got more than that. You're better than that. I have more faith in you. Because sometimes it's just a matter of the fire and drive shows up as I care. I care that I know that you can perform and I refuse for you to settle. So while you might say, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, blah, 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 that too shall pass. What won't pass is the feeling of regret that you didn't actually take an opportunity and, and, and get the deal or ma- land the massive contract or whatever it may be because you were tired or that was hard or I don't like change, whatever it may be. Gotcha. Short term. You didn't believe in yourself. It's a short term thing. So stop settling. And this is why I think the fire and drive comes from me is stop settling for the short term crap and drive. Because you're not going to wake up. You're going to be more proud about the self that you went through like a pain and suffering type of thing and came out on the other side better than being like, oh, I'm glad I was comfortable. I'm sorry for the like, No, I think that's important. I mean, I think when you look at each and every one of these things, I think different people are going to connect at a different level with certain elements of this. And that's the one, that element that drives you, that dictates everything else. Now, as we look at the next one, if we look at enterprise-wide leadership and participation, that's stepping up in a larger organization, right? Driving a team or a business unit or organization within a company, right? You're their, you're their leader. You're their, but as you become CAO, you work up the ladder. You have to become more generalized and widespread in what you're doing. You're understanding what's happening on the ground at different levels, but maybe not so at the micro level anymore. Yeah. When I look at this one, we were talking about vision, right? Mm-hmm. Well, part of vision and part of the job under vision and strategy for a CEO is alignment. The reason enterprise-wide leadership and participation is important is you need to know what's going on in the other business units that run parallel to your business unit. So if you're just like, you're the CEO of, I don't know, sales, and then there's a CEO of tech, and there's a CEO of whatever, right? You're going to have multiple different verticals inside the business. Well, if you silo yourself in just your lane, you miss opportunity of like the ease of being able to capitalize on a deal that could just be simply me calling Dave and saying, hey, this is what I got from my metrics and my goals to hit for this year. What do you got in your pipeline? So if I can get kill two birds with one stone, the idea is that enterprise-wide leadership is one, going to develop relationship with other key executives or key team members across the business. So and it's a lot easier to get through challenging situations when I already have a relationship with the person. Yeah. But if I also understand what your goals are, and then I can think about what my goals are, and then I can say, okay, so instead of making this like, you're getting your goals, I'm getting my goals, how can I actually think through a plan that gets Dave his goals, me my goals, and say another exec, like that's the power of enterprise-wide leadership because then if I know what you're struggling with, I could say, oh, by the way, I've got this connection or this person or whatever. It might even be a hiring need. And you say, I need this. I go, oh, I just got this other person I was talking to needs that. So the idea behind the communication of showing up and participating across the business platform creates efficiencies and can actually be the momentum you need to hit your goal when times get tough. Yeah. 
it ties back to the beginning when you, if you have a uniform vision, right? This participation or collaboration amongst leaders, right? That's important because too many times you can look at that and they're in competition with each other. Now, I think there's a healthy brand of competition and drive, mm -hmm. right? But there's something completely different if you're paranoid about somebody else's success, right? That will unravel everything that's kind of been set from the beginning. But if you know that you win and I win and if I win and you and win together, regardless of how we got there, that mindset, right? That collaboration set, levels everything. It also anchors your culture, yeah. right? I think that's also an important one about why participation is that if you say we're a team and you say all this kind of stuff, but you don't act as a team, I go back to the idea of yeah. if it walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, looks like a duck, it's a duck. And, and you know, that's a, well, why these things kind of light up, but that, that structures right into team construction and development, right? You can't have one without the other, right? You're not going to have enterprise-wide leadership and collaboration if you don't have the right people. Yeah, when I see team construction and team development, let's be going back to the start of this podcast. My definition of management is you manage tasks and you lead people. So as a leader, if you don't make team construction and talent development a key component of your like role, you're not a leader. Lead people. <laughs> you have to lead people. So if you're not dealing with a team construction and talent development with your people, I guess you could also say this analogy, right, is that if you call yourself a leader and no one's following you and you're not impacting people, you're not on a leadership journey. You're on a walk by yourself, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that's why I always think like, okay, we describe leadership and all that kind of stuff, but it's the people that will show up and rally to your cause because they believe in you because you impacted their life, you made their life better, or you poured into them in some form or fashion that made them better and they value you. The only way you can do that is through team construction and talent development, Right. So when you think about team construction, like, yeah, it goes back to your strategy. So if you're saying, here's my vision, here's my strategy, then you have to say, okay, what's my org chart? What's the team construction? Now, some people say, here's the ideal org chart. This is what we need in order to structure the thing. And then you find people that fit those roles. I've also seen team construction happen where they're like, we got great people. And there's people that are just hell-bent on, we're gonna, we got these people, they're great. Let's build our org chart off the current people that we have. Positive and negative is both side of it, but you have to basically say as your leadership, what's your style, what's your belief system, what's your, how do you, how have you gotten successful and lean into that one. The talent development is the one that's more, in my opinion, um, standardized, meaning like, are you spending time with your people? Do you know their professional goals? Do you know their personal goals? Do you know what their struggles are? Do you know what their that where they need actually like training and development? Do they need to go to public speaking? Do they need to be better with conflict resolution? Do they need to be better with goal setting? Like. As a leader, yes, I want to know all the great traits of my people so I can always put them in a spot to be awesome. But I also want to know where are their gaps that if I can help them with education, training, accountability, whatever the thing may be, they would be a better version of themselves. And they could use those traits to be even better in their power zones. And that's when people are going to sit there and say, like, most people don't want to be placated. So as a leader, you got to have tough conversations about, hey, you're a great person. And if we fill this gap and make you a little bit better in this time, you're going to be phenomenal. And when people hear the feedback of I want you to be better and I'm not criticizing you for the sake of criticizing, but I'm criticizing because I truly want you to be the best version of yourself, they love that feedback because they're like, damn, no one's ever told me that before. 
Well, that's, that's great stuff, powerful stuff. And I, and I like that, you know, if you look at this and you kind of touch on culture a little bit there, that every one of these components have a culture component to it, mm -hmm. right? Culture is just kind of weaved in through everything that we do when we're building an organization and we do from the day to day, you know, from vision and strategy, you know, where's culture playing in it? Our financials, well, if we're above board and honest about what's going on, there's a, there's a culture play. Right. This is building. You don't have building blocks without culture at the keystone at the foundation of what's happening. Your fire and drive, your passion about what you be and everything you touched on is culture-based because you want others to be successful together and you want them to grow and you're putting them above and behind or in parallel with where you want to go, but they're coming with you, right? Enterprise-wide solution participation. You can't work in silos. You've got to get along together. And the culture is formed and found most through the right people, right? always looking for and identifying talent that can help you grow and stay in alignment with who you are in your business. Which comes us comes to the final one, number seven, is systems. Now, uh, we put this one last mainly because there's nothing sexy about systems. It's kind of like mundane, what's the models, what's the processes. I go back to this one idea behind um, business. If you think about simplistically on like a four foundations of business, you have to have sales. You don't have sales, you don't have money coming in. Once you anchor your ability to drive sales, you're then able to focus on profit. So if you think sequentially about how you build businesses, I need sales, then I need profit. Sales is like, do I have my value proposition? Do I have people? Am I, am I finding the clients and bringing those in? Now, some of the things we talked about, focus in on sales. As you go into profit, some of the, more of the things we just talked about with leadership comes into it. So once you have sales and profit coming in, you then have to go into systems because now you have to say what was successful in sales, what was successful in profit, because profit indicates great operations, great culture, retention, all that kind of stuff. The system now says, okay, what did we do to get the sales? What did we get do to get the profit? Let's write those down. Let's replicate them because now we actually have a system that's most efficient. So as we bring on more team members, they don't have to recreate the wheel. They don't have to go through the learning gap of trying to figure it out. They can say, these are the best practices. And hey, once you master the best practices, you earn the right to innovate, right? You can innovate on the business. Those systems are basically allowing great skilled people not to have to spend time figuring it out. They can take a baseline that's already working and then improve upon it. And here's what happens when you actually hit sales, profit, and then finally systems, yeah. is you run into impact. Every business talks about impact. Well, you can't have impact without sales, you can't have impact without profit, and you can't have impact without systems. So as you think through your business, if your high goal is to get to impact, you have to get sales, you have to get profit. And the third thing that happens before you get to impact is systems. So those of us are like, I don't like systems. I don't like processes. It's boring. Blah, 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 blah. Your favorite saying, live in the boring. Yeah, live in the boring. Like I want a boring business that knows I know exactly what I need to do to hit my goals, to have consistent profit coming in because I've got systems and i got great people and their life isn't chaotic because no one wants a chaotic work, work field. They want to know how to win. They want to know what's the best way to do it. I want to be efficient. I want to have great people around me. And by doing that, the, the fourth level of business comes in, which is impact, which every leader wants to have is impact. So once you accomplish the f those three things, you get the impact. And that impact is what actually matters with people. You know, and I think when you look at that, and the nice thing about the system, systems are never finished, right? They're set. They're not set in stone, right? They have to be looked at. They have to be refined and have to be changed, right? Because the world is constantly changing. It's changing quickly, 
-hmm. right? So what components are going on? What new developments are happening that impacts your business? And if you aren't open to what's going on around you, everything else unravels. There's an interesting thought about systems is that syst make sure I say this right. Systems are a manifestation of all the activities we've done that have driven our prior success. What that means though is that just because we were successful in the past doesn't mean we're going to be successful in the future. Yeah. So we have to take in a stagnant moment in time, say, what's our system? Now, the reason this is a system is because we got results out of it in the past. We might have to innovate on it. So that's the whole part about a system. Just because the systems work for 40 years doesn't mean that we just can't touch it. It means that own it, master it, understand it inside and out, and then be able to innovate on it so you always stay relevant for the future. That's what I, anyway. Great stuff. I appreciate it, Dave. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Entrepreneurial Impact with Dave and I on the seven areas that all leaders need to focus in on. And until next time, have a great week.